Yo, you see it? We're back again. Bias Tribe, the Sports Bag Bros podcast, back with you for episode number 37. And as I would always say, if you've missed the previous 36 or even some of the last 36, that's on you. You should have been down to have the conversation with us of sports as we've been having it now for the past several months and moving forward. The football season is coming up. The NFL and college, we will be talking about that. But we're also going to be talking about LeBron James' promise school. There are a lot of promises that weren't kept right there. So if you stay tuned, you'll get a chance to hear that. We have so much more going on, including the first preseason game, which doesn't mean a whole lot, but it's still being played. NFL football. Jets, Browns, what's up, guys? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, because our our YouTube videos usually go 45 minutes to to an hour. If you don't want to look at our ugly mugs, listen to us on Spotify. Uh, Play us in the car, play us on your your ear pods at work. Uh, You won't have to look at us. Um, But, hey, I, I think I have something interesting to say about the Promise School, not so much about LeBron. But uh, somebody who likes to D-I-C-K ride LeBron. <laughs> well, you know what? We're going to get a chance to talk about that. That's going to be a little bit later because there are some other pressing needs. In fact, last week could have been the conversation we had about that, but we already know what happened last week. <clears throat> Bud and Spence got together and they were getting together. So we took two days out of the week, out of about four days. We took half of those days to dedicate to that. And rightfully so, it turned out to be an excellent fight for one fighter. Another brave performance for another, and we went into Monday. Now we're here on our Friday, which is Thursday. Let's get into some talk because there's still talk about what's going on with Errol Spence or what had gone on with Errol Spence as there's been a litany, not excuses, but creative thoughts of why he may have lost the fight. The newest one being he ran up, what was it, Mount uh, Charleston in Nevada, the elevation the week before the fight, and that's what left his legs weak. I don't know if this is the newest, but it is one of the more intriguing ones. Has he been talking to Deontay Wilder or something? I mean, did Wilder say, hey, you ran up the mountain, use that, you know, with his crazy excuses for losing to Fury the second fight? Hey, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's neurological issues that he had that revealed themselves because Bud is such a great fighter. And they didn't reveal themselves in prior fights, but I don't care how many mountains he ran up. He he got in that ring. He got his ass whooped. Exactly, and you know, and I, look, he he's the only one not at least at this point. He's not making any excuses. I haven't heard too much of anything out of him since fight night. And I think when we do hear something from him, I think that he's going to give credit where credit is due to Bud because Bud has been giving nothing but credit still to Errol Spence right now after winning the fight. And of course, you know, to the victor goes to spoils, so he doesn't have anything to be ashamed of. But neither does Errol Spence. It's fighting. It's boxing. That's what happens. You could lose a fight. He lost his fight. But Virgil Hunter, the former trainer of Andre Ward, was the one who came up with this assumption or came up with this theory or came up with this story. He heard from in camp, you know, there's always some type of clandestine someone in someone's camp, a plant that's going to give this kind of leaked information and told Virgil Hunter that, Errol Spence did run that mountain and he kind of worn himself out and he had this many days to recover, probably five days, but he did the run, I guess, seven days before the fight, wasn't fully recovered, also looked dehydrated. And that's the story a lot of people are running with, except for Errol Spence so far. And that's what we're hearing. And it's taking away from Bud 
and also taking away from Spence putting up the performance he did. Right. I think just, just let the fight stand on its own. Why why come up with excuses? Spence didn't look bad at the weigh-in. He didn't look bad in the ring when the fight started. He didn't look bad until Buzz started to touch him up. And that exactly is what happened because at the weigh-in, you know, I didn't hear too many people say he looks dried out at the time. That, you know, this is all revisionist history. When the weigh-in took place, I just noticed Bud looked bigger than I expected him to look. I didn't look right. at Spence and say, wow, he's drained. And I didn't hear anyone even afterwards say, well, it looks like Spence might be drained for this fight. No one said right. that. Nobody After said After the way things went down, now it's all about being, you know, the car accident, which he had before the Garcia fight, before the Ugas fight. And now just the third fight in, and he looked better in, in the Ugas fight, just a different opponent this time around. And people are still trying to make reasons for why what happened happened. And of course, on social media, especially something like Facebook, you can go and check out people's profiles. And there's no surprise you got people from Houston, people from Dallas, people from Texas, period, who are bringing up these stories or coming up with these new revolutions. I would tell them, watch the fight again. Watch how Bud stuck the jab in his face, how he used his footwork to get into punching angles, how he blocked and countered with the same hand so quickly, you know, almost like a cobra strike. I mean, come on, man. He just—I don't, I don't know what else I can say. He just jacked them up. Yeah, no, it's a. Deal. I mean, it was skills. It was skills. It's not like like Bud hit him one time and he was—he had a busted eardrum and he lost his equilibrium and, and you know what I'm saying? He took a sustained beating because Bud had the skills to do it. Yeah, and these are the, a lot of the things that we talked about before the fight anyway. These are the things we've talked about intermittently before the fight was signed. I mean, way back we were talking about Bud and Spence if they were to get together, and they finally got together, and we saw the result. <clears throat> and by the way, the first round, like going into the fight, so many people talked about how Bud starts slow, and we do know Bud starts slow. Guess what? In the first round, he did start slow, and Errol Spence did what Errol Spence was known to do. He was using his jab. He was using his sides, at least for the moment. He was trying to push uh, push uh, Bud back, and he did. He pushed him back. He was, you know, backing him up a little bit, and he won. That's the only round I gave him because it's more that he did something and Bud didn't do enough, only because Bud was processing processing the data and doing what he eventually had ended up doing until the knockout. So he was doing a lot of what he was supposed to do in the beginning, and to Bud didn't allow him to do it anymore. And we saw the skill set between the two. One is immensely skillful. The other one is skillful as a world-class fighter and has other intangibles that had helped him get to that point. But Bud, without a question, there wasn't an aberration here. And it would happen at 154, maybe even a, a more sustained beating if they got together again. I think uh, what also helped Bud, um, he came up from lower weights where he's facing faster fighters, quicker fighters, mm -hmm. you know, guys with quicker hands. So when he got in the ring, he probably was thinking he had to deal with more power than speed. And when he saw that he was faster than, than Spence, he already dealt with, with quicker hands in the past. So it, it, was, it wasn't going to be a problem for him. And then when he showed that he was stronger than Spence, it, it was it was all over. You know, yeah. we, we talked about uh, Crawford's wrestling background and yeah. how he just has a strong core. And when, when they got clinched up in the middle of the ring, 
if Bud wanted to throw him off, he threw him back a few feet, yep. you know? So uh, he was just overmatched. Yeah, from the inside, which was supposed to have been Errol Spence's bread and butter, being on the inside, going to the body, he was getting countered inside there to the point where he didn't want to throw a punch. He was he he was showing trepidation and fear inside, refusing to really do what he normally had done. He would throw a couple of punches and then clinch because he didn't want any backfire. He didn't want to counter it, but it was happening anyway. And you know, and then he was pushed out of that position by the smaller guy who ended up being the bigger guy and the stronger guy that night. And I think. Any other night, because of his wrestling background, the stronger core, and knowing how to use his weight in a clinch. But nevertheless, we got the result we got, and I don't think you can take anything from either fighter. I wouldn't ridicule Errol Spence for losing the way he had done. I think there are still some people out there who did and still continue to do so. You know, he gave everything he had that night. So even if he were drained, he gave everything he could have possibly gotten. I think for him to fall down, go down as many times as he did, and he had every opportunity to just have the refs just, you know, just to not do it. We saw Ryan Garcia. Hey, mm -hmm. we've seen Ryan Garcia. And he kept getting up. And I know that was on his mind. He doesn't want to get up. And he still had enough in his mind to realize that I got to get up. I got to get up. Kind of like Joe Frazier against George Foreman the first time. I got to get up. I got to get up. The better fighter just won. And if the ref didn't stop it, he would have gone out a fourth time and a fifth time. And until he couldn't get up anymore. Right. He could have folded after the two knockdowns in the seventh. But, you know, he, he has a champion's heart. He, he was going for it. Uh, well, not much you can say. He would just fought a better fighter. And that's it. And when is it just going to come down to the better fighter won instead of looking for reasons and excuses for why he did not win? Sometimes, especially in combat sports, boxing in particular, the fighter is just better than what you expected and better than what the other fighter expected, and the results proved it out. So you might have to accept that and hope there is a rematch. Probably not in December, but a rematch eventually at 154 so that Arrow can kind of redeem himself if he can try. But I don't see anything different that he can do in those in that short period of time that's going to change what, what Bud does. Bud's going to really have to – it's going to be more about what Bud doesn't do in a rematch than what Errol Spence can do. And that's, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Think about it. If he can't just get on the inside and maul him like he did Ugas and other fighters, then what's he going to do? Jab and stay away? Buzz jab is quicker. Buzz jab is stronger. He, he's yep. he's just getting, he, he can't stay on the outside. He he, he pays a heavy, a heavy, um, the price to get inside and when he's there he gets he gets countered and sliced and diced yep. I, I don't see how he can win other than uh, a crazy one punch KO I, I don't see it no I don't see that because Bud isn't that careless he has never shown that ability to be that careless in any fights I mean even in fights he's gone down you know it wasn't because of carelessness it was because hey you just get caught because that happens in combat sports as an aside now that Charlo's going to go up to 168 pounds and fight Canelo, as we already know, there is, there's not going to be a Bud versus Charlo fight immediately at 154. But now, as the news had might have that came down just recently today, once Charlo gets into the ring with Canelo, the WBO will strip him of the title and immediately elevate Tim Zhu to champion of the WBO. So that might be an option for Bud. And I tell you what, that will sell. It will sell for obvious reasons. Don't 
get me talking about the obvious, but for obvious reasons, that would sell. It'll be a money fight for Bud and Tim Zhu for as long as he lasts. Well, he'll be catching hands too. Yeah, I mean, that's just silly. If you're going to uh, strip him of the title, strip him of the title. Don't say as soon as he steps in the ring, he's no longer the champion. Yeah. And then also, well, why not make Tim Tim Zhu fight somebody? You know, usually they have a world championship eliminator or, or whatever. Whoever's number two, uh, have yeah, a fight for it. Don't just give it to him. Who, you know, there, there's already enough champions, enough exactly. paper champions this, these days. And now you're just going to hand it over? Whatever, man. It, it, I don't know. It's a joke. Yep, it's been a joke, and it's going to continue being a joke. And we'll continue with this joke at another time because, as I've already mentioned in the opening, it's football season. Tonight is Thursday. Tonight is the Hall of Fame game. The New York Jets are taking on the Cleveland Browns. And no one really cares, but they're just getting their football fix in right now because we know already that the starters aren't going to be out there. Anyone who's considered a star, whether it's Aaron Rodgers or whether it's Deshaun <laughs> Watson or Nick Chubb, they're not going to be out there. Why would they be out there this early in the season? Yeah, I don't know. I, I've never understood the fascination with preseason football. I don't know. I may I may have been eight or nine years old, and I saw a commercial uh, advertising the Bears were playing the Browns, and this uh, they said, uh, tune in to watch Walter Payton take on the Cleveland Browns, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, football's back. You know, I, I'm a little kid. I, I don't know preseason, regular season, whatever. Yeah. And um, so I, I tune in. They hand the ball to Walter one time, and then they punt, and they say, well, Walter's night is over. I'm like, Walter's night is over? That's the only reason I tune in to watch. That's my man, Walter Payton. You know, I want to see him carry the ball 25, 30 times, run for 150 yards. And he was done for tonight. So I went and asked my dad. He's like, and he explained it to me. He broke it down. These games don't count. They're just getting ready for the real season, blah, blah, blah. So since then, I've had no interest in the preseason. So I'm so happy this game is on Thursday night because our next show isn't until Monday, so I don't really have to talk about it. And you know what? There are a lot of people out there who like preseason football because they're just football fanatics. These are the same people who are watching USFL football it. throughout the season during the offseason. They just love football. And then you have your college football fans coming up too. But the NFL just – you know, it, it is America's pastime right now. Baseball hasn't been America's pastime for a long time. We already know that. So people have this, this craving for the NFL. And just to watch either rookies or seeing how new players that are additions on the other team and seeing how they look, you know, if the so Guys who won't be on the roster in two weeks? Guys who won't be on the roster for two weeks, but just wait for your, your Amazon package to come because you might just get a chance to meet them face-to-face. -face. Hey, you never know. But I tell you what, I mean, I can understand the buzz for the NFL. You know, look at the buzz for the draft. You already know what the NFL brings to the table. So if you're going to have a buzz for the draft the way it is and you have the NFL network that's giving you this 24-7 coverage, you cannot wait for the season to come, especially if you have a stake in your team that has an opportunity at the postseason and perhaps a Super Bowl. So, yeah, I can yeah, see Yeah, but that's the thing. You, you get excited. Your team's playing and then – but your team's not playing. Your starting quarterback's not out there. Your number one defense isn't out there for very long. You know, you want you you say you want to see your rookies, this and that. Okay, yeah, but the rookies got a, a bum throwing to him who's probably not gonna be on the roster at, by the end of preseason. So what are we watching? But everybody has those vanilla offenses and vanilla defenses, so you get to see a lot more 
I guess, fireworks than you normally would see when it's a lot more nuanced once the season has started. But I'm just glad football is back. And, of course, this being a Hall of Fame game, I mean, we have inductees going into the Hall of Fame, and that list consists of two Jets, at least players that are playing in tonight's <laughs> games on these teams. You have Darrell Rivas and you have uh, um, Joe Klecko. And Joe Klecko, I mean, in my opinion, one of those players that should have been in a long time ago to this current bias. East Coast bias. Not East Coast bias. To this day, this guy should have been in a long time ago. To this day, the only player to go to the Pro Bowl at three different positions, I mean, on the defensive line, that's that's impressive. Playing for that New York sack exchange, he was the one who didn't get all the props, but he's the one that's going to the Hall of Fame now. Mark Gaston, who isn't going to the Hall of Fame. And I'm happy, as a Jets fan, I'm happy. I'm, I like when a original Jet gets there. I don't like typically when a player comes from another team, plays well for the Jets, and then goes into the Hall of Fame. That's not a true Jet, And even though I appreciate someone <laughs> like Curtis Martin coming from New England, then going to the not Jets and having a Hall of Fame career. I can live with that. Even Don Maynard, once upon a time being a Giant, then coming to the Jets later on, being part of the Super Bowl, the only Super Bowl. I, I understand that part. You know what I mean? As a matter of fact, was it even the Super Bowl? I don't think. But anyway... But the bottom line is, you know, I like my original Jets, and those two were in there. And along with them, Zach Thomas, respect all over the place for Zach Thomas. I mean, Joe Thomas, uh, too. Under, uh, Joe Thomas, too. Joe Thomas, see, he went to a team like Cleveland. And when you get picked by Cleveland, you almost by default don't think <laughs> you ever have a chance to do anything. So the only thing you can play for is the Hall of Fame if you're not going to just go all pro or just to the Pro Bowl often. And so, yeah, uh, Joe Thomas a big-time offensive lineman, one of the greatest of all time, no question, perhaps along with Jim Brown, perhaps the best Brown of all time, along with Jim Brown probably just being over him. DeMarcus Ware played for the Dallas Cowboys and Denver Broncos, you know, 138 and a half sacks on his career, you know, led the league two years, uh, two times while with the Dallas Cowboys with sacks. And so obviously deservingly coming from Troy State before it was Troy like it is now, but coming from Troy State, Playing for the children down there. I remember that back in the day with Larry Blakely as their head coach. Brent Beards, former homeroom teacher for a little bit of deep knowledge or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Believe it or not, that's actually true. And then um Ronnie Barber, we've seen him. And I think that it's almost an obvious that he was going to be a Hall of Famer coming from that defense that helped win that Super Bowl for those Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Along with How many Super Sack. Bowls? Just one. Just, just one. one. Just checking. Just checking. Just one. Just one. Uh, I said plural. Super Bowls. Winning that Super Bowl for Tampa Bay with Warren Sapp and Derrick Brooks, who's already in the Hall of Fame. And, of course, he's following suit. And John Lynch, you know, they deserve to be in it. And um, I can see that. And well, some other names on there where we see um, Chuck Howley. I'm not going to act like I know. <laughs> I know who he is only because of history, not because I've watched him play. You know, right. being the only player to ever win an MVP of a Super Bowl and Super Bowl five from the losing team. I mean, that might not ever happen again. But it had to be he's a hell of a performance. Exactly. In a losing performance, he had two, I think, interceptions and a fumble recovery in that game. So he he's, you know, obviously got deserved that playing for the losing team. So he got in there with that merit. And then um Ken Riley, another player. So we're talking about the it's time to at least celebrate the Hall of Fame players that are going to the Hall of Fame. If you're not going to celebrate the game itself, which bias is it? Celebrate the players who are going. And Lester Hayes, right. I have nothing against him. He deserves to be in there, but um, he's not. Get my man in 37. You know, he, I mean, he locked down a lot of wide receivers, man. Get him in the hall. 
Hey, so now that football is gonna kick down the door tonight with his yeah, and he was a part of more than just one Super Bowl. And that's true. That's true. Hey, Joe Klecko wasn't a part of any Super Bowls. <laughs> <laughs> He's in there. You know what I mean? And so hey, and you know there may be some bias. I mean, he did play for the Oakland Raiders, and they've always had that problem with Al Davis and anyone related to him playing for any one of his teams. Ken Stable is not even in there. Come on, man. It's Snake. He's not even in the Hall of Fame. So there's somewhat of an agenda, but Lester Hayes, in my opinion, certainly should have been in there way before whatever the hell he does finally get in because I think ultimately he'll get in. So as football continues yeah, to kick, out, kick down the door. Going, he's probably going to have to pass away first. Man, see, see you want to give guys their flowers, man. Give people their flowers. But, yeah, they, they'll bring the flowers to the funeral, I guess. <laughs> I guess he's going to do that. So uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, supposedly the, the, well, the, not the worst team as far as player or even history, but the worst behaved team in the NFL, according to just gamblers, because of the way that they've been penalized over the past three years. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys, I guess is right behind them with 25 penalties and there were 30 penalties, but they aren't just any types of penalties. These penalties are considered infractions that affect the game. I mean, that, really affect the game, uh, the flow of the game, or makes it dangerous. Football is a dangerous game. What are you talking about? But I but I guess what separates the two is the amount of fines that have been paid over those three years because of both teams, you know, proclivity to not play by the rules completely throughout an entire 60-minute game. The Pittsburgh Steelers, $5,342,533 in fines, and the Dallas Cowboys, a paltry in comparison, two hundred ninety-two thousand one hundred fifty-eight dollars in fines. So that's why, as it stands, according to just gamblers, the Pittsburgh Steelers are the naughty boys and nasty boys of the NFL right now. So, hey, I think it, it starts at the top with Mike Tomlin. You know, he he's a former tough guy, and I'm sure he teach he coaches hard and watches players to play hard and, and hit hard, and that's where it comes from. It probably does, but you know, I, I, you know, if he was winning more championships or at least a, another championship since his first one, I think his fans would be a little—not his fans, but Pittsburgh fans—would be a little bit more endearing. They're not that happy with him, and they haven't been for a while. It's like after each season, they kind of rooted for him to just go below five hundred, so that streak can end, so that they will have a reason to cry all the time about getting him out of there. <laughs> and that's just the wrong organization because the Rooneys. They hang on to coaches, and regardless of how well you're coaching, well, they always been able to coach very good teams. So it wasn't like they just let a scrub sit around and just marinate and just have to eventually get rid of them. No, they let they give you chances as long as you're competitive and you can tease the fans and tease the NFL and well, real, have real and, and have real opportunity. Yeah, he's won it, but listen to the Steelers fans or people on the outside. He won with Bill Cowher's players. What? I mean, <laughs> when a couple years afterwards, it wasn't the same players that Bill Cowell won with. I mean, the the Ben Roethlisberger that was on the team with Bill Cowell, that's not the guy you wanted leading your team. He played a lot better the second time around. So come on now. This is a different player. But anyway, that's just what you get when you talk about that. Yeah. Hey, if they make him available, I'd love to have him in Chicago. Fire oh, really? him, please. Uh, Mike Tomlin, of course, man. He, he can get it done. Who's his quarterback been? Oh, yeah. Well, I'll I tell you what. Well, since look, and even Ben, in my opinion, stayed in a little longer than he should have. 
You know what I mean? So those last couple of years that Ben Roethlisberger was around, he wasn't Ben Roethlisberger that we know of. He's going to be a Hall of Fame, but he's done that. He built that resume years ago. So what he was in the last two, three seasons obviously isn't what he was in the beginning and something that would carry a team to a Super Bowl. And we saw it. They hadn't gotten there or hadn't done well in the playoffs as they've always done pretty historically. Now they have Kenny Pickett. I mean, I think that he's a good pickup. I think he was a, a damn good pick. And like all Pittsburgh Steelers players, you know, they rally around a player like that. We'll see how it turns out, how he well he fits into the offense. Do they pass more with him, or is he just that stable quarterback that can pass the ball when he needs to, like he was in Pittsburgh? He had huge numbers, but the identity of the Steelers has been running the ball, running the ball, and you can have that guy that can really sling it when he needs to out of a 17-game season, let him sling it 10 games out of those 17, um, let him sling it seven games out of those seven, um, 17, let them run it 10 times, and you can win that way. But staying in the state of Pennsylvania, we're going to go to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, and it seems like someone's kind of loving and maybe not loving Jalen Hurts as he's going into another season, allegedly improving from what he was last year, but not everybody's bought on the hype, sold on the hype. Marcus Mariota, his backup, is proving how good he is, according to observers, because they're saying that when Marcus Mariota gets in there, it looks terrible. But when Jalen Hurts is in there, they're taking off. I, I, I don't know why anyone would want to throw shade at Jalen Hurts. He he had a tremendous season last year, got his team to the Super Bowl, uh, played a, a very good game in that game. It, it took a, a last-minute drive by by the best quarterback in the game to beat him, you know, so why, why throw shade at him? I, I don't understand it. People probably just want headlines, want attention, whatever. But I mean, Jalen Hurts, Hurts, until he doesn't do it, he's legit. In oh, my yeah. well, I was one of these people when he was heading into the NFL that I didn't say fool's gold, but I was kind of a little skeptical. And not only because of the running quarterback thing, because he kind of debunked that when he went to Oklahoma and was throwing the ball around. You know, when he was at Alabama, Alabama, I thought he was overrated. And I believe that was the reason why Tua was able to overcome him. But he did develop into a passing quarterback. He didn't have to do that that often at Alabama. As we know, they can run the ball, they can pass the ball, they can do both. But at Oklahoma, in the Big 12, where they sling it around and you get a chance to show how well you can pass the ball, he, he showed it. And he was a Heisman Trophy candidate for, a, candidate for a while until he wasn't. But when he got into the NFL, I was a little skeptical. Hey, there isn't any more skepticism because if not for Mahomes last year during the Super Bowl, he's the MVP of the Super Bowl. And right. it's that simple. And for people to still talk about it as if there's still something to be desired, yeah, maybe a championship, that's what you would like because – Philadelphia has a championship quality team, you know, but that's an argument for another day. But Mike Sando of the athletic tells, says that an, a, an NFL executive, you know, these anonymous guys who like to say things about other people's players, <laughs> they're calling, they're, they're comparing him to what at one point, how they had uh, Dak Prescott. And then they're saying that he's a second tier quarterback like Dak Prescott, but right now he's really a number three. Well, so now you're saying that, Jalen Hurts, a quarterback who took his team within an eyelash of winning a Super Bowl, is a second-tier quarterback, and he may fall down to number three in terms of tier two going into this going into this season. I, I don't see that happening, man. It seems obviously the Philadelphia Eagles are well invested in him because of the contract they had given him, but he's showing that improvement and not incremental. He showed huge improvement 
And we could say the same thing about what Trevor Lawrence is doing in the, with the Jaguars. The same thing with the results is happening in Philadelphia. Yeah, I don't know who that exec was. Was it possibly Jerry Jones, you know, trying to stand up for his guy? Who knows? But Dak Prescott has been to zero Super Bowls. So Jalen Hurts is way ahead of him already. Way ahead of him. And I know there's going to always be somebody out there, whether they're not fans of the Philadelphia uh, uh, Eagles or they just aren't fans of Jalen Hurts. And I don't know how you really can't be not a fan of his. Of course, he doesn't have to play for your team. He just comes across as likable. I don't think he's done anything outside of beating your team that would make you dislike him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, when he was at Oklahoma, I was like, wow, if he played like this at Alabama, he would have never gotten replaced by Tua. Exactly. But I've watched him play enough at Alabama, and I was like, you know what? Tua was ready. When Tua came in in his true freshman year, I thought he was ready to take over the job. He ultimately had gotten his chance in the championship game, but Tua was that good coming out. And Jalen Hurts just didn't seem like he was – being as consistent as he needed to be. And I guess I wasn't wrong. Nick Saban saw it the same way. He put Tua in there. They were playing wrong. I mean, he wasn't playing well. He wasn't playing well. That's why he was replaced. It wasn't just this experiment with Tua. He wasn't playing well. They put Tua in, and that game-winning touchdown just kind of solidified everything. But we now see that's past. It matters now here in the NFL. You're getting paid to play, and he's getting results. Just an eyelash away from a Super Bowl. He still has a solid team this year going into this season, more than a solid team. And, you know, we'll, we'll get a chance to see what he could pull off this time. And speaking of Tua, I mean, Tua's taking jujitsu now down in Miami. I guess he's trying to protect himself from the injuries he's been known to have over the time he's been in the NFL so far. Hope, hopefully that helps him with footwork or maybe he's learning how to take contact and, you know, roll with it. I don't know, but – as far as uh, quarterback play, I don't know how much it's going to help him, you know, throw throw the ball down the field. But you know what? His problem has never been throwing that ball well, um, poorly. I mean, other than rookie blues that rookies have. I mean, because when he's passing the ball and he's healthy, everything is happily ever after, at least to a point. So it's, his passing the ball and his decision-making hasn't really been a big issue since he's been in the league and now that he's gotten his feet under him. It's the matter of his feet getting knocked from underneath him and him missing games because of it. So yes, yeah, so, yeah. I'm not saying I'm not saying that he he needs to improve, or I mean, obviously he's going to improve. Still, a young quarterback, but I'm saying that's not going to help him in that department. No, footwork wise, I don't know. It might just help him in his in that department. I'm, I'm, well, reading the defenses, throwing to the right receiver, hitting 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 the, the receiver on time. That's how's jujitsu help that. I don't know. I'm talking footwork-wise. I mean, I know you want to be on the ground. No, I said footwork. Oh, because, I mean, footwork-wise, he'll be all right. I mean, he's doing well right now. I guess when he gets piled up on, because that's where his injuries come from, he'll find out a way to maneuver himself out of that via jiu-jitsu. Maybe it's just in a roundabout way that's where it's going to come from. And so He might might do some moves like Sunshine and remember the Titans. Who knows? (laughs) You know what? D-Lyman going to be getting carted off the field when they play Miami. And why does that guy remind me, Sunshine, remind me of Trevor Lawrence with the long Fabio hair from the I Can't Believe It's Not Butter commercial? That must be why. I mean, exactly, man. I'm like, yo, well, just dating myself in the whole deal. You know, and that's what's going on in the NFL right now. Obviously, a lot more going on in the NFL, but we'll have more than enough time as preseason starts and goes. And as the regular season comes up in September, we're going to have enough time to touch on all 32 teams at one point or another 
they will all be talked about at some point. But college football is here as well. And we've talked about a little bit of college football, if not more than we expected over the past couple of weeks because Northwestern was leading the way before. And for a change, Northwestern and the shenanigans there and a lot of the issues that are happening on that campus are the issue today. The Big Ten has given authorization to their commissioner to not only ask Oregon and Washington to come to the conference, but Cal and Stanford now. So what's going on here? Now, Florida State, I haven't heard anything of now. I think that they may get appeased from what we spoke about yesterday with them getting more money, a bigger piece of the pie with the ACC. So I guess the Big Ten was like, you know what? We still have two other teams we want to get. Cal and Stanford, four teams now coming over from the Pac-12 since the other two teams, which makes it six, UCLA, USC. What's going to happen to the Pac-12? They're going to be the Pac-0. But <laughs> I mean, Cal and Stanford, Cal and Stanford, you know, those are two de decent schools, um, football-wise and academically. Stanford's at the top. Oh, no question. And, you know, so that that would be a big get for the Big Ten. You know, they also consider themselves a strong academic conference. Yes. So yep. if they can get those four teams, and Florida State still wants to come, I'm sure they'll still take them. Uh, Clemson too. As we talked about yesterday as well, you know, Big Ten doesn't mean anything. It's just a brand because you're going to have 20 teams in there before it's said and done. It seems the way it's going. I think we're going to get to a point to where we just have super conferences and it may be super conference East versus super conference West. You know, I think that's what it might be. Split down the middle at the Midwest. I, I don't, the way things are going, I mean, what happens with Arizona? What happens with Arizona State? Those schools down there, Oregon State. I mean, what's going to happen with these schools when all of this, this uh, migration happens. I mean, yeah. wh where are they going to go? To the Big Ten of, of the Big 12? <clears throat> I mean, the Big 12 has, is trying to bring in teams of their own as they brought in UCF, they've brought in BYU and some other schools in addition because they have defections of their own to deal with. Right. But if the Big Ten gets all of these teams, we're looking at at least 20. And yeah. it, it could be where they add a few more in the, in the next five years and they could have a 30 team conference and now they're going to what they're going to create their own league. You know, and that's the, what I'm talking about. A super national conference. college football league. Yeah. Super, they, you know, they have their own championship. I, I mean, it's crazy. That would be something interesting because the, they can go outside, I guess, wait for some of these contracts to expire and not be part of the NCAA anymore, have their own thing. I mean, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I don't know. And, and someone who uh, uh, I'd be very interested to see what happens if the Big Ten gets all these teams is uh, Notre Dame, because I'm sure the SEC will look to add, and you're going to have these super power conferences, and Notre Dame is going to be out there independent, and you know they're going they're going to cry, oh we don't we don't have a conference game and blah blah, you know all the all the stuff that comes up every year. Well, join a conference. When it was all about the money, everybody wanted that contract that Notre Dame had with NBC. Now everyone has a contract, and it's dwarfing the contract they had with NBC. So it probably is in their best interest to try to find a conference. I mean, Notre Dame isn't going to starve. They're still going to be one of those teams in the pantheon yeah. of college football that's going to be able to survive. If you want to point to any one team that could survive on their own, it would be Notre Dame. And but I'm talking about as far as getting shut out of playoffs or yeah, you know because. Well, strength of you know, schedule isn't there. I think they I think because of their brand, 
they will still get the opportunity because they've been getting those opportunities when they shouldn't have in recent memory. <laughs> you know, I, you know, you said yesterday they go undefeated, they go into these games and get blown out in the playoffs or wherever they end up. They're always getting punked out. But when you look at a team like Notre Dame, they still have their traditional rivalries because they will still be able to play Stanford. They will still be able to play uh, Cal. You know, they'll still be able to play USC. So they still have those traditional teams that they can still play, even if those teams are in other conferences. I think those other teams want that money as well. And in addition to the money they're getting from the conference, from playing Notre Dame, their traditional rivals. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that has to be done. You know, we, we don't know who's going to go or who's not going. So until it happens, you know, it's just speculation. But interesting times in college football. Oh, absolutely. Interesting times with the transfer portal. We thought that's where it was probably going to begin and end. And then NIL comes around and makes it pretty much de facto free agency for college players and even high school players. You know, and, and now, I mean, this, I mean, you, you just have – the uncertainty of where everyone is going to be and, and the uncertainty of what the NCAA is going to really look like or even mean in a short period of time. And let's not fool ourselves. The SEC still leads the way. They have the money. They lead the way with a lot of this. The Big Ten is the next and everybody else. That's it. It's everybody else. The Big Ten is SEC, the two big time conferences who are going to dictate uh, what's going to happen. Now, if you're one of these teams uh, outlier teams. Do you come to the SEC knowing you probably won't ever have a chance at a national championship? You know, the smaller teams. I mean, I heard earlier this year that Arkansas was thinking about leaving the SEC. Where were they going to go? Back to the Big 12? I mean, well, the Southwestern Conference is not there. The Big 12 would be their only option. You know, yeah, so I think yeah. that's been quenched. So I believe they'll still be there. Texas A&M is going to still be there. It, it's just, a, a, I'm not going to call it a mess. It's just intriguing as hell right now. And I would like to see how it eventually turns out in the long run. And, you know, sticking with, um, well, not even sticking with football anymore. We're going to move on to some baseball. And that's um, Domingo Herman from the New York Yankees. Just a couple of weeks ago, he was a hero throwing a perfect game for the Yankees. Now his season is over. Alcoholism. He's had a pretty tainted past. I don't know what the story is right now because an incident allegedly happened on Tuesday that kind of started this, you know, initiated that, okay, we're going to have to shut him down. I don't know what the issue might have been, but I do know back in 2019, he did have an incident with his girlfriend, domestic violence, and because of it, he was suspended 81 games. And I wondered, was alcohol was alcohol a problem back then? Is it more of a problem now? And did something like that happen again? I don't know. But that's what I was going to ask you. Do we know alcohol is, is the issue? Well, they said alcohol. They said that, um, um, he's been, that's in quotes, uh, in parentheses, it said alcohol. So, um, hmm. I'm, you know, he's had an issue like that in the past with alcohol. I don't know if the reason why he had the, the issue with his ex-girlfriend in 2019 was because of alcohol. And with this coming up now and them really pointing to alcohol, saying we need to stand by him, you know, Brian Cashman and the organization has to stand by him with this time around. They're interested in the person, you know, all of the PC things they should be saying right now to make themselves look good. And you want, come on, who wants that for anybody? If you got a, if you're having alcohol problem, you know, they call it a disease. I'm not a doctor, so it probably is a disease. So this, this is something he obviously can't control himself. He's making money, he's playing baseball, doing what he wants to do in his life, and this is still derailing you. Obviously, there's a problem somewhere. So, I, I hope he gets it, gets it corrected, gets the help he needs. 
Uh, hopefully there wasn't another domestic violence issue. Um, I hope he just gets it straightened out. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. I mean, as a fan, <laughs> yeah, I rail at him all the time with the exception of the perfect game. Man, this guy, come on, get him out of there. He's just, he can't get anyone out. Look at his ERA. Look at that. That has nothing to do with outside the or outside the exactly. field, football, basketball, baseball, whatever sport it is. But someone has to be a human being outside of being an athlete, you know, living their regular life. You want them to be able to just live as happily as they possibly can. And if something is demonic as alcoholism is preventing him from living the regular life that most of us live, man, you hope that he can at least get some help for that. Yeah, and I'm sure the Yankees will have programs available to him or individuals av available for him to go visit with, talk with, and all of that. So hopefully uh, he gets things ironed out and, you know, he can make a comeback. Yeah, hopefully he does make a comeback and it's for the better. You know what? Good player, bad player is immaterial right now. Just get better. I remember when CeCe Sabathia was going through his alcohol problem that no one knew about and he was helped with it. And he's one of the most beloved Yankees or even baseball players even to this day. I mean, he's, he's changed his, his body. You know what I mean? He's pretty much looks like a bodybuilder. We all know about how big he used to be when he was active. You know, Cheesecake Sabathia was supposed to be with the CC Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> with Mitt. But, hey, he's gotten his life together, obviously not on the alcohol like he once was and enjoying his life. So maybe being in that Yankee organization, he still has close ties to the Yankees. That um, you know, Herman could really rely on someone like that just as well as the program they're going to put him in. Yeah, that would be a good move. You know, someone who actually went through it and and can help him deal with it. Yeah, somebody and, should facilitate that. And so yeah, so all good luck to him. I mean, seriously, good luck to him. Not just the cliche, good luck. You want to see people do better. If you don't, something's wrong with you. You know what I mean? Seriously, you don't want to see people do better because you don't like them. Or, or, or because they're on a team you don't like, come on, man, get real. Get a life on that one. And, right. Um, speaking of a whole new life, how about I promise? <laughs> I promise that school would be a good thing, according to LBJ. <clears throat> look what's going on. At his uh, at his school, the school that he funds, at least, um, they're financed by his foundation, uh, the LeBron James Foundation, I believe. And um, students there have not passed a standardized math test in three years. Not one, not one student has passed. That's crazy. That's insane. So what is the purpose of the school after all, when you think about that kind of thing? And look, this is not a bash of LeBron session. This just happens to be something LeBron has his name on and something LeBron supports. And it just happens to have its issues, not because of LeBron James in any way. In fact, he's been putting money into it, trying to help this thing out. It just hasn't gotten the results, but because it's his name attached, it's getting the attention it gets because I'm sure... There are a lot of schools out there among these U.S. counties that are going through the same thing. We just don't know who the hell they are. They are. Yeah, I think it's easy to to just bash LeBron. You know, he started this, this at his school, blah, blah, blah. But in the end, he's not there teaching the kids. He's not creating the curriculum. So if somebody let the kids down, uh, someone let LeBron down. You know, he mm -hmm. obviously trusted people to uh, handle putting it together and, and you know, teaching the kids correctly. And obviously that's not being done. Um, my only issue is, and this isn't even at towards LeBron. My issue is with Nick wrong. He said that Michael Jordan's tenure as an owner should affect his GOAT status. What? Keep, keep that same energy, Nick. Keep that same energy. If not, oh. you're just a punk-ass TV 
D-I-C-K writer who can't admit when he's wrong. How can you even come to that conclusion, though? I mean, how does that come? How do you come to, you know, I remember when people say the same thing. That's about why I call him Nick Young. You know, what, what a man does in the front office has nothing to do with, with what he did on the court. But if you want to go there, keep that same energy. energy. Man, I, I remember when, you know, Phil Jackson was the president for the Knicks, and they were talking about how he was such a terrible guy. And, and he wasn't Red a terrible Auerbach's a better coach. See, Red Auerbach's a better coach. Exactly. <laughs> he was a terrible uh, president of the organization. No questions asked. But that had nothing to do with all of the rings he's won and the people he's coaching, checking <laughs> on the great teams he's had, there's no there's no correlation other than they're in the NBA. That's it. Now, I hate when people try to break their necks to take away from someone's legacy, whether it's MJ's legacy or M, uh, LBJ's legacy. Any player or any person that's an athlete who's made themselves yeah, a I'm, legacy through the hard work they put in, there's always I mean, someone willing to tear it down for absolutely no reason. You have to be an idiot to say, see, LeBron's not the GOAT. His school, his, his kids can't pass a math test. It, it has nothing sense. to do with basketball. But you know what? I'm sure there are people out there. You go to some of these boards. You might or go to some of these groups. There certainly will be someone out there who thinks that way. But you know what? I look at it. You know, you got to try to dig a little deeper of why this may happen. I mean, he's in Akron. That's Summit County. I think um, Ohio is, I think, number 22 in the entire country of 50 states in terms of education. So they kind of kind of middle of the pack. And um. These are at-risk kids to begin with. So these are kids who aren't coming from normal circumstances. We're talking about likely a lot of single-parent uh, households, likely single moms. And this is probably a tumultuous life a lot of these kids are living. So they're coming in at a disadvantage. One kid? Not one kid in three not years? Not one kid. You know, I mean, the entire environment, though. See, if you're taking a whole pool from a bad pool from a bad circumstance, that means everyone has bad circumstance. You may have to bring them up to speed. Now, if it was a, a pool of there was some half decent kids and everybody else was probably out of sorts, then I would worry a little bit more about okay, something's definitely wrong because no one's passing. But if everybody was at risk and desperately at risk, and you've added $1.4 million, which his foundation did, and it did nothing but put money down a black hole and you're getting zero results, yes, that's the teaching you would like to believe. But then you also have to look at it's a cultural thing as well. Look at where they came from. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. I like using that term, but call a spade a spade. They're coming from these environments in which the culture is more of an issue than the actual learning because the inability to learn or want to to learn is part of the culture. And this is what you're getting. So, you know, these broken families, bro, this is not this is not old news. This is um, this is not new news. This is pretty much across the board when you don't have uh, your nuclear family in place, things aren't going to do well. In fact, years ago, I remember I was checking out some statistics of between Baltimore and Salt Lake City, Utah, and we saw the differences between academics was night and day. And we saw the money that was put into the public school system in Baltimore, which was at the time, I think, $16,000 plus per student. And in Salt Lake City, about seven grand. And it was night and day, a very dark night and a very bright day in terms of the results. And it came back to, look at the family structure. You had over 80% of the kids that were in Baltimore who did not have a father in the house. They came from a single mom, and they also were below the poverty level. But then in Salt Lake City, you might have had a polynomial life, but you still had a family. So these guys, you know, so they did well in school. So I, I, just, I just wonder, why is it just math, you know? 
there's there's no talk of of other tests that there that no one has been able to pass. And you mentioned different education systems. When I was 10, I moved to Indianapolis to live with my aunt. And I was there for almost three years. And when I came back in eighth grade, uh, I was learning in eighth grade up in Northwest Indiana, what I was learned, what I had learned in seventh grade in Indianapolis. So eighth grade was a breeze for me, but, uh, uh, you know, I wonder what they're teaching because in high school, man, I was studying my ass off because algebra was tough as shit for me. Yeah. I was studying my ass off and I would get a C. And then I had to take geometry. And shit, I was like, man, I struggle with algebra. I don't know what's going to happen with geometry. But I aced geometry. And after after a few weeks, I was like, man, this is easy. And yeah. I aced it without even trying. And my counselor says, well, you just have a different type of brain. You learn differently. (laughs) Geometry, the shapes and and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, whatever. I'll take all the geometry you want to give me. Screw algebra. You know, again, (laughs) I don't know know what they're teaching um, or the techniques they're using. But you would think at least one kid would pass the test. Yeah, yeah. You know what? But I wonder how how many other counties in Ohio have the same issue in which not one kid pass the test from one of their schools. I mean, I think there's 607 schools in their entire state, uh, public schools in all of the counties in um, Ohio. But I, this is the one that stands out because I guess LeBron's name is attached to it. I'm sure there may be other schools out there. You know, Summit County, that's Akron where he's from. You know, and I don't know. I still think it's one of those cultural things. You're taking kind of the worst of the worst kids, not just behavioral-wise, just overall circumstance. At risk means this not things aren't normal. So you're right. putting them in that environment. They probably have to learn from scratch. You know what I mean? Maybe these people who are in eighth grade have been pushed through and they're learning things that they should have learned in third grade in order to build a foundation to know what the hell is going on in eighth grade. I mean, we don't know what's going on, but, and you can't com- completely blame the teachers if they're starting off at a disadvantage anyway. Can you really even blame the kid if they're in an environment where education <clears throat> is not even important? It's just a mandatory thing for people to do. And in some cases, just a babysitter for their parents. So that's the only reason why they send them out. Get lunch. Become babysitter, be a baby, you know, have a babysitter out there. It's a mess, but 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 why are we hearing it after three years? Why not the first year? You know, if if nobody passed it, that should be news the first year. Not a single kid passed the eighth grade math test. Well, the first year happened the second year, two years in a row, somebody didn't pass. We gotta wait till after three years before we it becomes public. Some somebody dropped the ball. Well, they need to oh, get a bunch together. of somebody's. Yeah, a whole bunch of somebody's. This is important. Math is important. If nothing else at all, you need to know some math in life, man. That's that's something they can't take away from you. I mean, legitimately take it away from you. Math is the answer to almost everything, especially when you get to the advanced parts, which I don't have to worry about. I don't have to. Worry. <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> I'm not even trying to do any math anymore. Man. I didn't have to do it. I didn't have, I'm not doing it anymore. But hey, sticking with the NBA, and I hope they do get everything together there. I mean, we all kind of hope that. And now that all eyes are on them, I think you're probably going to start seeing some firings, but you also may see some progress. At least next year this time, we'll know even more about it, or even before next year this time, because maybe someone will keep an eye on it during intervals so we can get kind of updates of what's going on as it's happening. So sticking with the NBA, and finally, for today, look at this. We're talking about the National Basketball League's Plays Association 
is upset with the Orlando Magic because the owner decided to give $50,000 to presidential candidate Ron DeSantis of Florida. They're appalled. They're alarmed. They're not happy about it. Why is that? Well, if players can sit, kneel for the anthem, you know, make political statements, come out with, uh, with different sayings on their warm-ups, the owner has every right to to support whoever he wants to politically, whether yeah. they agree with it or not. I mean, a lot of owners didn't agree with, with players protesting the anthem. You know, exactly. it goes both and ways. It, it goes both ways. By the way, I didn't hear this same feigned outrage from the Players Association when Jeannie Buss of the Los Angeles Lakers, your flagship team in the NBA, one of your flagship teams in the NBA, was supporting Kamala Harris when she ran for president as well. Why is it an issue? Come on now. I mean, stop trying to be an influencer in politics. That's what I'm asking. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it or donate to who you want. I'm just saying stop acting like one that you're not talking politics because it's a, Demo a Democrat or Republican when you're doing exactly that. I mean, Kamala Harris was supported by Jeannie Buss. Come on, regardless of how much it was given, she was still supported by her. And I never heard anything about them feigning their outrage because that's what I believe it is, feigning outrage because they want to be kingmakers. They don't want their players or they don't want the organization or they're trying to shame people from donating who they choose to donate to. Hey, the last time I saw 81% of the NBA owners supported a Republican candidate. I mean, come on, take it for what it's worth. I mean, whether it's your political lingo or not, that's what they've done. And the NBA has been making a whole lot of money. No one's been complaining about that part of it. So why wish complaining right now about Ron DeSantis getting 50000 No one complained about when Kamala Harris got thousands of dollars. Stop the <clears> nonsense. <throat> Stop the fake outrage. Keep politics out of sports. People use sports to get away from the crap of politics. And they <laughs> always steady trying to keep it going. Yeah. But I, I question why only fifty thousand. I mean, if you're the owner of an NBA team, that, that's like a hundred dollars to regular people. Uh, DeSantis got to be like, that's all. That ain't no kind of support. Well, well there are limits. I, he gave it to their super PAC. So, um, so oh, okay, um, <laughs> yeah, it was a super PAC. Um, but anyway, they, they have limits anyway, which you could give because they obviously know that you can kind of maneuver and do things if. You know, you can really influence something with the right amount. Oh, you of mean like like that trick Lauren Bober did? Which trick? Oh, we're getting off subject now. <laughs> <laughs> Bruh, just coming out of left field with that, man. Well, man. Hey, you talked about limits and she violated it, but whatever. Oh, hey, that's true. But on that note, hey, our weekend is finally here. <laughs> NFL football is coming on. Yeah, I won't apologize to her neither. She's on my hit list too. Her, Paul Pierce, and Nick Ron. <laughs> you know, he's coming at the end of the show with the, with, with the smoke. It just came man. to me. I this thought of it. You brought up the politics, not me. You brought up the mid-show smoke, man. You brought up the politics, not me. Well, look forward to the, the clip. You're going to have a reel on this, I'm sure, eventually. So, yeah, it's going to be on. <laughs> like the reel you just made about Paul Pierce. Don't come at me, Paul Pierce, when you finally see this reel patch in your Facebook feed. Because you deserve hey, every bit of it. I, I, have, I have a whole list. I'll run, it, I'll run the list off right now. <laughs> well, we'll this be running on. On, on Monday on episode number 38. We'll be more than happy to run a list, but we hope to get a chance to see you then. It's going to fill up the screen. You won't be able, able to see our faces. We'll just have our, be that many names on my list. We'll just have it rolling like the movie credits. That's <laughs> it. <laughs>
When it's <laughs> well, I'm Trav. He's biased. This is episode 37 going out. Check you on 38 on Monday. Peace. Peace.